good to be with you. I'm excited to, I'm excited to teach tonight. We're actually closing out our Genesis series. Um, this has been a fun series, I think. I hope you, hope you think so, too. We've covered a lot of really great topics. We've covered the idea of faith. We've covered creation. We've talked about floods. We've talked about promises that have been kept and promises that have been broken. And this week, we close our Genesis series with the story of Joseph. And we're going to be talking about dreams, and um, I'm excited about it. I feel like God has something for me, for you, for us collectively. Um, I say it every time that I teach, I really, really do love stories. Um, I still do, even this week. And uh, so instead of, of reading uh, a big, grand story from the Bible, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a story. It's a... Uh, story that's full of drama, it's full of courage, it's full of passion, it's full of family. And I think that, that ultimately, just like the scriptures as a whole, it's hopeful. And it has something to teach us that, that even though it was thousands of years ago, it applies to us today in this modern existence that we all live. Many uh, scientists and psychologists believe that that there are three main reasons that we dream, all right? So when you lay down to bed at night and you have these weird visions and colors and experiences, there are three things that they say that, um, that are the reason why this occurs. The first is simply our dreams act as problem solving. They believe that, that our brain processes and expresses the concerns that we have in our everyday life, and our dreams enable us to practice those experiences even while we sleep. I don't know if you've ever had one of those dreams the night before a big meeting where you show up to the meeting and you're in your underwear. Uh, maybe that's problem solving, and it's telling you not to show up to your big meeting in your underwear. Or maybe it's simply your brain searching for solutions to problems that you've been experiencing, you've been thinking about, and as you rest, your brain is sorting these things out. The second is the activation synthesis theory. And this is the belief that the neurons in your brain are firing. And as they're firing, they're activating other neurons in your brain. And they're trying to sort out what this means. You ever have those dreams where your teeth are falling out? Anybody had those? It's a really, really popular and famous dream that a lot of people have. And uh, some scientists say that it's actually a fear of losing control. And so this brain of your teeth, or this dream of your teeth falling out, is actually your brain trying to process the things in your life where you feel like you're out of control. Crazy. The third, it's called neural housekeeping. This one's really interesting. It's a belief that our brain is actually hitting the refresh button on the desktop of your mind while you sleep. You know when you select all on your desktop and it's a mess and you click reorder and everything goes and gets fixed? That's neural housekeeping. It's your brain taking all of the experiences of your day-to-day, -day, all of the craziness and the stress and the good things, and it's taking them and it's reordering them and it's putting them in new files and new sections. It's actually been proven that when this takes place, it increases the beneficial uh, rest, it increases our short-term memory and our long-term memory. 
So what we can agree then is that dreams are important and they serve a purpose. But as is often the case, scientists and psychologists have given us the answers, but an artist has provided us with the words. Playwright and author Marsha Norman writes that dreams are the illustrations from the book of our soul. Our dreams come from and inform the deepest places inside of us. Throughout the entirety of the scriptures, there are 21 dreams recorded. Ten of those dreams are found in the book of Genesis. Six of those dreams are actually found in our story tonight, in the story of Joseph. That story begins in Genesis chapter 37. Now I mentioned we're not going to be reading this story in its entirety because it's actually 13 chapters long and covers 11,000 words. And uh, yeah, that's, that's a lot. So instead, sit back, relax. I didn't even put the scripture on the screen because it's long. Instead, let me tell you a story. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended to his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Pause for a second. Anybody an older sibling? Yeah, so that means we have younger, younger siblings. We know what this is called. It's called being a narc. <laughs> Apparently, Joseph never learned the phrase, snitches get stitches. Anyways, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph. A beautiful, amazing, technicolor dream coat. I added that. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field, tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up. Your bundles all gathered around and bowed down low before mine. His brothers responded, probably like I would have, So you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think that you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. And I'm sure they rolled their eyes. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father, as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. It was probably the coat. As he approached, 
They made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. And they grabbed him, threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. Just then, as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming towards them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to these traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and our own blood. So his brothers agreed. When the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern, sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. So I want to start by asking a question. And it's a question I think is going to shape our journey tonight. And that question is this. What do we do when God gives us a dream? In our story, God gives Joseph these incredible dreams. Visions of his future designed by God himself. God spoke to Joseph's brain as he slept. The neurons fired and revealed God's design. There's an amazing book called The Artisan Soul by uh, an author named Erwin McManus. Uh, I meant to bring it. I forgot to bring it, but uh, it's called The Artisan Soul. It's really, it's really, really, really fantastic. It's one of my favorite books. But in it, he kind of outlines this concept. And um, I have a little, a little excerpt here I want to read. He writes, Is it possible that the human imagination is the playground of God? Only in our imagination can we begin to contain even the smallest expression of the bigness of God. Everything that exists began as an idea. Everything we define as reality began as nothing more than imagination. Reality exists because it was first imagined. In fact, everything we know about the invisible comes to us in the form of the visible. Everything we know about God is translated through the things God created. God rested from his work of creating only when that creation was a complete manifestation of his imagination. It is an interesting possibility that there is a reality waiting to be materialized if we could trust in our dreams. There is a reality waiting to be materialized if we could trust in our dreams. I've had this thought, and it's this thought that if we are created in God's image, as Genesis teaches us, then the deepest desires of our souls and those ideas and the imagination that we have have been placed there by God. Therefore, we are uniquely suited to accomplish these dreams that God has given us. I think it's those 
those hidden and those desires that we can't quite place, but they feel innate. They feel right at home. They feel like they belong. They live deep, deep, deep in our souls. And I believe that God has placed them there for a specific reason and a specific purpose. So what is possible then if we were to trust in those dreams? What could we accomplish? Maybe we could become a beacon to our social circles. The scripture uses the phrase, a city on a hill. Maybe if we join together as a faith community, we could change our city for what God has imagined for Boston. But it takes dreams. It takes vision. And it takes imagination that I really truly believe could only come from God. So I want to ask this question again. What do we do when God gives us a dream? In the story of Joseph, the first thing that he does when he has these dreams is he tells his brothers. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up. Your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. He probably could have avoided the use of low, I just realized. That made it even worse. And then he tells his whole family, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars. Guess how many members are in his family? Bowed low before me. He is low again. I didn't realize this. Dude. So what happened when he did this? They tied him up and they threw him in a well and they sold him into slavery. What this tells me then is that the partners of our dreams matter. They make a difference. We need to share intentionally because depending on who you share your dreams with, they could tie you up and throw you in a well. Or... They could know the exact right person at the exact right time to share your dream and to see the dreams of your imagination that God has given you turn into reality. But we must share our dreams intentionally. There's a, a scripture verse in Luke that I've, I've always really found fascinating. Um, it's in the story of the birth of Jesus, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, had just given birth to the Savior of the world. And an army of angels appears in the sky and sings glory, glory in the highest. And some shepherds come and they worship Jesus. And the Bible says, all who heard were amazed. And then in Luke 2.19, it says, but Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. And I think that maybe that verse is for someone in here tonight. That maybe instead of sharing that, that imaginative dream that is deep in your soul, maybe instead right now, God is calling you to treasure them and ponder them in your heart. It's oftentimes the dreams that we don't know how or what or when that deserve to be pondered. 
I heard a quote this week that said, maturity is what tells you what to share and when. Meaning, maturity is not sharing everything you feel you need to share. Maturity is finding the right time to share what is important. So once you've pondered these things in your heart, maturity would say, I think there's someone who needs to hear this. And I think that person, if I share this intentionally, can help me accomplish my dreams. But once this happens, prepare yourself. Because scholars believe that from the beginning of Joseph's dreams to the fulfillment of his dreams was anywhere between 22 and 25 years. In that period of time, Joseph was sold into slavery. He was wrongly accused by his master's wife of rape. He was thrown into prison. He was promoted by Pharaoh into a senior management position. He experienced seven years of feast. He experienced seven years of famine. And then he revealed himself to those same brothers who threw him in a well and sold him into slavery. In Psalm 105, uh, verses 17 through 19, um, it actually summarizes the Joseph story. It says, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, they bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar until the, the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. So I'm going to ask the question again. What do we do when God gives us a dream? We share it intentionally, but then we hold on to it and we see it through. And we give it back to God. The dreams that God gave Joseph, these wild dreams that made a lot of people really unhappy, were dreams that united a family. They revealed God to a king. And they saved a nation. But it took Joseph's character. It took hard work. And it took a lot of time. So what has God spoken to you? Maybe while you were asleep or through your life experiences or, or in your imagination, God's spoken something to you and it's deep. Do you believe that it's worth the time? Do you believe that it is worth the effort to see it through? In the very, very beginning of the Genesis story, humanity fails itself. That was one of our teachings, was the fall of man. But God had a dream. And that dream was to unite us with him and make it right again. God sent Jesus, his only son, for us to make us righteous in his sight. And to once again allow us to have eternity with him. Jesus himself offers his love to us. He offers to live with us and to meet with us 
so that we can have that eternal life. And it's a life far greater than what we experience now, here, today, on earth. It's his desire and, and his dreams that all would come to salvation through him. So I firmly believe that 2020 is the year for us to dream. I have a dream that God's going to move through our city again. And I have a dream that we're going to play a part in that. I have a dream that, that this family of Anchor Church will have a renewed sense of compassion, of justice, of joy, of acceptance, of evangelism, and that we would welcome the Holy Spirit into our gatherings, into our workplaces, into our small group gatherings, into our conversations. And allow God to accomplish the dreams in our souls for his glory. But it's going to take time. And it's going to take effort. It might take some testing. It might be difficult. But it might also be worth it. It's not going to happen alone, though. I can tell you that. It's going to take all of us. It's going to take me... Pastor Randall. It's going to take our board of elders. It's going to take our global impact board. It's going to take each of you. But if we can unite in the dreams that God has given us for our city and for our lives and for our social circles, then his kingdom will come. His will will be done. But we've got to hold on to these dreams. We've got to share them intentionally. And we've got to be creative. We've got to work hard. Which are all things that can be really difficult in this modern life. But it's worth it. And if it takes two weeks or it takes two months or it takes two years. Or perhaps we never see this dream. Or our kids do. And it's worth it. So if I can invite the band to come back up. I believe that it's with God's help that we will see his work completed. It's not our strength. It's not our work. It's his work through us. It's an interesting possibility then that there is a reality waiting to be materialized if we could trust in our dreams. And if we could trust in the God who gives us big dreams. Big, big, big dreams. So let's stand together. And for just a second, close your eyes. I've heard people use the phrase, open your heart. That's kind of a weird phrase, but I do think it, it is a, an important process, to open yourself up and to allow God to speak to you. So open your heart. Open your mind. There's something there. There's a dream there. What is it? 
Maybe it's been there for a while. Or maybe it's been buried. And it's time to dig it up. Or maybe it's so big that you have had no idea how it will ever be accomplished. Those are the dreams we're talking about. Those are the dreams that matter. Those are the dreams that have the power to change your life and the lives of the people around you, the lives of those here in our city, in our country. Dreams that change the world. They're big and they're scary. But it's only when we face these dreams head on that we can embrace them. And when we face them head on, and we've stored them in our heart, and we've prayed over them, and we've pondered them, and it's time to move to action. It's time to tell somebody. time to hold on to it. It's time to see it through. It's time to work hard. What's your dream? What's your dream?